God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Coming to you live from high atop the EMR Tower in beautiful downtown Decatur, Georgia, center of the known universe. Thence, 23,300 miles directly into outer space this week, affiliates SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fluted plane to our vast EMR radio network. This week, 331 stations plus. The island of Guam. Speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. And we are glad to have you along on this special edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break. I remain unbossed and unbought, speaking truth to power, and committed to truth, justice, and the American way of making money. And I would encourage everyone to turn up the volume. Here we are, January the 8th, a very special edition of Real Estate Coffee Break and the John Adams Radio Show. Wow, have we got a lot to cover this week. Look, look at this show. Look, this is just amazing. All this stuff. And it's sort of a last show. We had almost a record crowd on New Year's Day. We've got a pretty good crowd right now. People are still coming into the auditorium. Let not your hearts be troubled because I received for Christmas a new free enterprise chair. <laughs> what, what are you laughing at? Margie says she put it together. Uh, it's the free enterprise chair and I am seated firmly in it, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone. This is excellence in money radio. And I heard from a good friend, Bill Cook of Bill and Kim Cook fame. Many of you have attended their programs over the years. Bill is just a genuinely heck of a nice guy. That's what you got to say about Bill Cook. And also heard he's going to be a special guest, not today, but soon. Heard this morning from my friend, John Schaub. John Schaub, the man, the investor, the legend. And uh, John has been traveling and has promised to visit with us. And so has uh, Tyler Jones, who's going to talk with us, not today, but soon, um, about uh, how to keep our computers cleaned up and straight. You know what? Uh, it's just so important that your computer, I mean, everything we do now 
is computer oriented. So, Margie, do I have a monitor? It's coming up right oh, it's coming up right now. All right, well, let's forge ahead. A special thank you to our sponsors as we plow forward with this edition of the John Adams Radio Show. First, I wish to bring to your special attention, not this year, but one year from right now, the 2023 Expo Cruise. Now, we're going to be leaving from Miami on January 28th, 2023. Now, that is a year and three weeks from today from Miami. So, probably easiest to fly to Miami. And by then, I promise through my intimate relationship with the Almighty, we will have this situation resolved. I'm a praying that we've got to get done with this thing. This is ridiculous. Anyway, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's called the Expo Cruise, because if you believe that excellence provides opportunity, then you are an Expo investor. And we're going to have seven. It's actually eight days. Why does this say seven when it's eight? Staff. Well, somebody did it. Nobody saw, me do it. Nobody saw you do it. Well, I can't prove anything. Well, we're going to be on the Carnival Freedom, I think. I'll have to double check on that. But we just got back in November from the 2021 Expo Cruise, and it was a blast. And a lot of it says it is wanting me to collect to connect to Zoom. Am I off? Signed out. You have been signed out because you are currently signed in on another device. Well, it says I'm not. Okay. Well, I'm glad you can hear me. It's because you're in the next room. Oh, okay, good. Well, I am closing this thing that just opened. It says leave webinar. All right, here we go. Uh, in any case, if you are inclined, Margie and I will be teaching courses that are real estate oriented, but I want you to come because it's not just real estate. There will be um, real estate professionals. There will be entrepreneurs, internet marketers from all over the world. And there's only one rule. You ready? No selling. So this is not a pitch fest. Nobody's going to try to sell you anything. It's about 400 people that get together and share ideas on how we use the internet to market our goods or products or services. Now, I will be presenting to our group. See, there'll be 400 people aren't all there for me. But I want you to be in my group because we're going to concentrate on real estate and investing and financial planning. And uh, other people will be focused on things like email deliverability. And it's just, it's a blast. And I want you to go to expocruise.com. And here's the problem. 
this thing's going to fill up and it's going to fill up fast. And all you have to do is put, what is it? $250 down per person. Yeah. So you put down 500 bucks for a cabin and that is fully refundable until September. But if you don't do it now, guess what? It won't be there. The cabin will be sold to somebody else. This will sell out. So it's a real value. I know we're going to have a lot of fun. Margie and I have done this same cruise now, what, seven times? Yeah. So that was our seventh uh, marketers cruise. And we just want you to come with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Go to expocruise.com and just let me know you have an interest. We'll get in touch with you. We'll talk about it, make sure it's a good fit, and we'll let you pick a cabin right quick. Then if September rolls around or October and you're not able to go, it's okay. You get all your money back. Okay? So I think that's fair. All right. Your quote for today is from George Bernard Shaw, Irish playwright uh, and intellectual, who said, liberty means responsibility. That is why most men dread it. And I think that is as true today as it has ever been. And if we want to be free, if we want America to stay free, then each one of us has a responsibility to participate in our government in the way that seems best to us. And I'm not going to try to tell you what's right for you or what's wrong for you. That's for you to decide, okay? But at least participate. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I thought this was a profound quote and one that we owe it to ourselves to consider. <clears throat> We're also brought to you today by Home Meteorite Shield. Protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. It's only $14.95 a month. Look at what I saw in the New York Times. Risk of comet hitting Earth is greater than previously thought, say researchers. And here's an actual photo of a meteorite striking the surface of the Earth. This may be an artist's rendering. I'm not sure. In any case, I certainly don't want this to happen to you. And for only $14.95, uh, you'll have complete protection. You're sponsored by the Americans for Democratic Action in Modern Society. The initials are just A-D-A-M-S. Yeah. What? Well, it's only $14.95. Margie, it provides complete protection. Uh -huh. Have we been hit by a meteorite? No. Okay, then it works. Um, and we also have a friend in the... Now you have a friend in the mortgage business. Pick up the phone, start the conversation... Call Peter Burke at 678-557-9759. Even if you don't need a mortgage, he'll help you look at your overall financial situation and see if there's any parts of your debt structure that could be tweaked or improved or otherwise modified to your benefit, because that's what Peter does. He is with Reliant Mortgage Solutions. He is a licensed mortgage broker in Georgia, which means he brings to the table a lot more solutions than somebody who just works at the local bank. Because if you work at uh, 
First National Bank, um, all you have available is the products that First National Bank has. And Peter has over 30 lenders that he works with regularly so that he can shop and compare to find the product that's right for you. So if you're thinking about refinancing or you know someone who is thinking about buying a home, have them contact Peter now. Don't wait. Because once you found the house, you're going to be scrambling. Now's the time to go ahead and get your financial house in order. Peter, we appreciate your support. We'll be talking to him a little bit later. And I just want to remind you, the Real Estate Marketers Cruise, coming up January 28th, this is the same one I was just talking about. It's like-minded real estate professionals, entrepreneurs, marketers, eight days, there we go, seven nights, fun, food, mastermind events, and cruising. And we will have private events that Margie and I will be teaching to you in our group. And you look, learn more at expocruise.com. And look at that. Now tell me that isn't beautiful. I think it really is. That's very nice. So um, just pick your cabin out. This is going to be me. Oh, no, that's the bridge. Um, well, we'll be up here somewhere. Okay? So you can come up and visit us. Anyway, uh, let's forge ahead. We've got so much to cover today. And I've gotten stuck here. Let's see what the problem is. Ah, and you can find out more at expocruise.com. How's that for easy? Now, here's Warren Buffett's quote. If you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. Well, Warren, I have a bone to pick with Warren Buffett a little bit later. But why don't we teach our kids this stuff? I think our kids have a right to know that if they don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. And they never, never find that out until it's too late. I'm telling you that right now, Warren Buffett's right. Okay. And I believe that you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 little rental units. And that's going to be our topic for today. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, you know that I advocate a buy and hold strategy. This is not the only way to invest in real estate. This is just one way, but a way that is conservative, a way that works, a way that is proven, and a way that minimizes risk. Okay? Don't we want to minimize risk at every stage of our investment. Yes. So let's run over real quick. First, you buy a house, hopefully at a price below market value. We're going to talk today about market efficiency and market inefficiency and how you and I as individual nimble, nimble investors can take advantage of market inefficiencies from time to time. Second, we acquire that home one way or another, and we make renovations to repair or enhance the home. What are we talking about? We add a deck, we mow the lawn, we paint the exterior, we sand the floors, we put in new light fixtures, um, all the usual stuff. A fresh coat of paint is 
the first thing that jumps to mind because it just makes everything smell good and look good. Actually, they took the smell out of paint. I'm, I'm very unhappy with that. Margie, can you buy some paint smell? Volatile. They're volatile organic compounds. What does that mean, folks? That means if you open a can of paint, blammo, you could just, that's called spontaneous combustion. Open a can of paint, might have an explosion because of all those volatile organic compounds, VOCs. We had to get rid of those. That's another area for the EPA to stick its nose in. Um, we renovate the home to enhance it. What does that do? It makes it more desirable. We call that sweat equity, right? Right. And uh, we rent the house to establish cash flow and income. Then we refinance the home. This is where our friend and sponsor, Peter Burke, comes in. And we can meet with him before we ever find the house to figure out exactly how this will work and get an idea of what options might be available to us when the time comes. Here's your monitor. Ah, and here's my monitor. Thank you. Got it? Yeah, is this the one you threw on the floor? No. Did you break that one? No. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, all right, I've got my show notes here. Here we go. And then finally, you, when you refinance the house, you pull some cash out based on the new enhanced value of the property. Can we know that ahead of time? Yes, because we can have an after repair value appraisal performed. I know, I know, I know you haven't done this. I know you're worried about it. Trust me, I've done it. And then finally, we're going to find another house and we're going to do it again. We repeat the process. How many, how many times a year should you be doing this? I say start with one. Numero uno. What if you, how many of you, raise your hands, please. I can see you. How many of you wished you had bought 10 good, solid, little rental properties in 2012? Raise your hands. That's sort of like a salute. No, that's not there. Lots of hands raised. Okay. 10 years from today. I know Peter's next. We're going to go right to him here. And just say at 10 years from today, if I ask the same question, how many of you will then still be raising your hand saying, I wish I had done it. That's just my question. And it's time to get moving folks. And we're going to talk about it today. So I am thrilled to have you with us. Um, and why don't we do this? Let's just go directly to Peter Burke. I'm going to hit 13 and it'll be right here. Margie, can you help Peter get on? He has joined. Now you have a friend in the mortgage business. Pick up the phone. Start the conversation. Peter Burke, how are you, sir? Oh, he's connecting to audio right now. His number, in case you want to jot it down, is 678-557-9759. And um, I hope he'll, he'll be joining us. The great news, folks, is, and, and I'm going to make fun of my friend while we're waiting on Peter. 
I'm going to make fun of my friend, Robert Kiyosaki. Would you look at this stupid picture of Robert Kiyosaki? Now, I have respect for Robert Kiyosaki. He wrote a book called The Millionaire Next Door that I still like. It helps people understand that wealthy people concentrate on different things than poor people. And that's okay. We lost Peter, Marge. Okay. Um, but Robert Kiyosaki has now gotten hired by some silver merchant and they want you to buy silver. And the way that you get people to buy gold and silver is scare the heck out of them. And so now Robert Kiyosaki is telling people that the crash is coming. And I just don't believe it. Look at this down 50%. Uh, and here's Elon Musk. What a weird looking guy, Elon Musk, Mr. Tesla, a uh, big recession ahead. And this girl is some sort of, this woman is some sort of uh, economic guru who says the collapse is coming. We now go to our, what? I, I see Peter now. We're going to our very special guest, Peter Burke, who is, um, as soon as I can there he is. Peter, hello. How are you, my friend? Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. We are not getting your audio. Some... We are? Speak up, Peter. Good morning, everybody. It's your audio. I hear it fine. It's my audio. How can it be my audio? I don't know. Is your speaker on? Yes, my speaker is on. Good morning. Good morning. I have it all turned up and everything. Good morning. Well, everybody can hear. I'm going to turn this on, Margie. No, that's going to echo. Well, anyway, we'll try it. Peter, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, John. A little bit of technical difficulty there. I don't know what's going on. I says original sound is off. We're recording. I'm not muted. And I can't hear you. I can hear you. Well, that's what everybody says. Anyway, Janet says there's no problem with the sound here. So I think we're fine. Peter, why would my friend Robert Kiyosaki sell his soul to the devil and tell everyone that a crash is coming? It makes for good headlines, maybe. Well, it sure does, but I just, I see no evidence of a 2008, 9, 10 style crash coming. I don't either. I'm curious to hear what someone's perspective is. Well, good. Let me give you my perspective. Let's, let's look at the screen together. And I would like your reaction here. So I'm going to share the screen. I'm sharing the sound. And here are six reasons. One, and this is one that you are very familiar with. And the fact is that lending standards today are stricter than they were in 2008, nine and 10. Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay, so we're not lending to people 
who really have no realistic expectation of repayment. Correct. Good. The subprime mortgage market is history. Thank goodness. Because other than the people who were packaging and reselling these things as mortgage-backed securities, um, they were a disaster waiting to happen. Is uh, Yes. And yes. we had people who really never should have tried to be homeowners because they didn't understand their obligations. So anyway, that's number one. Number two, would you agree, Peter, that low-risk mortgages are now the norm? Absolutely. There's only but a small niche of uh, alternative mortgages out there, and they don't seem to have a, a, a great demand. Well, and, and the majority, you told me that most people that are getting fixed rates today are double downing on a 15. It, it's not uncommon that there's a, uh, people want to pay off that mortgage quick or accept, keep their payments uh, to, to, to accelerate the payment. Yes, yes. Well, that's a common but that is, that is a very healthy sign I think that someone is willing to pay a higher principal and interest payment in order to be done with the debt altogether. And doesn't the market reward people that opt for a 15-year mortgage with a little bit of a rate differential? Uh, you get a, an improvement in your rate and um, you pay off your loan faster. I think it's because we don't have money to spend on other things like cars and trips and uh, 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 what have you. And uh, Peter, the, the subject of spending money on cars is a very sore subject here. <laughs> My car blew up. I don't want to talk about it. I heard. Um, number three, apparently, on average, homeowners are just flush with equity right now. Have you seen that? Uh, yes, that is that is a, a common occurrence that homes are appreciating. Uh, uh, purchases that we did earlier in the year where there was PMI are now uh, homeowners are considering refinancing just to eliminate that PMI. And it's it's amazing uh, the acceleration of appreciation in the last 24 months. Well, I would, I would argue that that creates in and of itself something of a buffer that a homeowner might fall back on if they hit hard times to avoid foreclosure. I agree. Okay. Next, the job market is strong. Yes. Anybody that wants to work can go out this afternoon and get a job. I'm not talking about like a million dollar a year loan officer at a respectable mortgage company like Reliant, but nonetheless, jobs are available. And I don't know if you caught um, yesterday's news of um, uh, wages have increased, I think, 4.8, almost 5% in the last 12 months, um, which also bodes well. Well, 
I just, you know, I believe this economy is poised for a strong recovery if we can just get past this stupid COVID crisis. But I don't know, you know, who was it? Who was the um, White House chief of staff, who is now, by the way, the ambassador to Japan, who, who said, uh, never let a good crisis, a perfectly good crisis, go to waste. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Rahm Emanuel. Oh, Rahm Emanuel. He was the one who, after he beat an opponent, sent them a dead fish. I, I have a, a friend in the family who knows Rahm Emanuel's family. And this, there's a funny story that he, um, when he was in high school, uh, he lost his fingertip. And it always comes back to me. He used to work at an Arby's in Chicago and he clipped off the tip of his finger. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know why that story always pops into my mind. He's, he's actually comes from a brilliant family of physicians for some reason. He went into politics. Well, you know what they say about Arby's. <laughs> we have the meat. <laughs> and maybe someone's fingertips. Yeah, maybe. Um, number, number five here, if I can get there. Oh, I'm pushing the wrong thing. Struggling homeowners today have more options than they did five years or, or 10 years ago. One of the things that was so frustrating to me as a person watching the recession unfold is that it caught loan servicers almost completely by surprise. Absolutely. It was a debacle that went on for five, six years, seven. Well, you would call the lender and say, there's a house that's abandoned at this address and people are stealing the copper and the wire and the pipes and their kids using drugs in there. And it's an attractive nuisance and you have to mow the lawn. And they would say, we don't even know anything about it. We don't, we can't prove that we own the mortgage. Has all that been resolved for the most part? Uh, you, you no longer hear that issue. If you open up your mortgage statement, for those of you that ever look at it and turn it over, it's there's now uh, uh, five paragraphs talking about how uh, if you run into issues, you know, speak, reach out to us and here's what we can do or uh, we're available. And it, it's a sea change from where it was 15 years ago. Well, I would, I agree with you because when I first heard the phrase loss mitigation, I said to myself, maybe this is a revelation to loan servicers that by working with homeowners, as opposed to in opposition to homeowners, they can help people stay in their home and get back on track with their mortgages. Yeah. And I applaud that. I, I'm not saying that's not expensive. I know it is. But isn't the foreclosure equally or more expensive? Uh, it's a very expensive and costly process. And uh, uh, 
uh, the rules regarding it are very onerous for a lender. And, and I, I think the, the public relations component of it scares them into doing it if, uh, as well. Which brings me to my final point of why we won't have a crash in 2022. And this is, I guess, just a, um, an extension of number five. But the reality is, if you are a lender and you've got a borrower in default, there are all kinds of federal requirements now that cause you to offer alternatives instead of or in lieu of a foreclosure. And I think that works to the benefit of both the lender, the investor, and the borrower. What say you? Uh, I agree. I think uh, lenders are not comfortable testifying before Congress and having to answer Elizabeth Warren's questions. They're done with that. And so there's a uh, uh, there's more mechanisms to want to help folks than testify. You know, there's well, a seventh there's a seventh reason, and it runs right to the heart of real estate investing, John, and that is. I was reading a report yesterday about the increase in rents everywhere. And I could have sworn um, Atlanta rents are up, I, I wanna say it was 18% um, and no, no end in sight. And that runs to uh, the fact of, of uh, inventory and, um, goes back to lending standards where uh, owning a rental property, uh, we tend to forget about that appreciation and rent. You know, we use these, these, these uh, uh, conservative uh, rental increases when we're looking at something. And I think the reality is if you're an investor that's staying on top of your portfolio, you're increasing rents, not only to keep up with your costs, which was always the old story, but to go right to your bottom line. Well, my taxes are up, yes. And, but the market is also giving you an opportunity to increase rents. It's interesting you, go ahead. It's interesting you say that because um, unlike the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which we all sort of focus on and say, hey, this is, this is solid gold. We don't have a comparable industry standard for rent. And so it's sort of a depending on who you believe. Zillow Research uh, puts out numbers on rent. Uh, there are several of uh, the, um, uh, what is that? New England Oh, Harvard, Harvard Joint Housing Study puts out numbers on rent, but they're looking at different sectors of the market. But I've seen, as you point out, anywhere from 14, 16, 18% in Atlanta in the last 12 months. And I think it's just a reflection of the supply and demand situation. And, and I wonder if entrepreneurial investors are as aggressive as institutional investors in putting forth those increases. Um, it can be an uncomfortable situation, 
But um, I'm confident institutional owners, apartment management companies, those that own, you know, a thousand single family, a hundred single family, they're pretty comfortable putting through 15% annual increases. And I wonder if the entrepreneurial investor um, has the same confidence in sending that email. I I suspect not. And this is one reason. I mean, you know, it is... I'm somewhat uncomfortable. We have talked on this program for years about how the tenant is a valuable asset. And if we can keep them for a longer period of time, that lowers our overall costs. Well, one way you do that is satisfying their needs and at the same time, building some sort of professional slash personal relationship with these people. And it's no fun to send them a letter, but that's why we offer the nice tenant increase letter free on our real estate coffee break website sponsored by Peter Burke. Well, maybe for 2022, you should offer a segment on how to coach uh, real estate investors on how to push forth higher increases and develop the confidence and the routines in communicating that and uh, making it objective to not only cover your increase of costs of insurance and taxes and if you maintain the landscaping, but um, additional uh, profit that you can build into that rent. Maybe maybe investors need a, a reminder on on how to do that. I think you're I think you're exactly right. That's a great idea and what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop sharing right now and I'm going to go let's see what I'm going to do. Got to figure out how to do all this. I'm going to go to um realestatecoffeebreak.com Here it is. Now I'm going to share my screen again. Well, that didn't work. Suspended page. Margie, have you, did you forget to pay the bill? (laughs) I'm at realestatecoffeebreak.com and it says suspended page. She claims she paid the bill, Peter. Well, in any case, we'll get the website up and running, and we will also make available to everyone the nice real estate increase letter. Um, But that's not really doing the trick right there, is it? So, huh? All right, she's working on that. So... Anyway, Peter, are you going to come on the marketers cruise with us next year? I am, John. I am doing that. I'm looking forward to it. It is a year and three weeks, more or less, from today. I have picked out your cabin right here. We are going to do it. And Margie and I are, we have taken over this side of the bridge. The starboard side of the bridge will be our 
lounge where we will greet our guests, but it's going to, I mean, it's just going to be a blast. And, uh, we went in November of last year, about three months ago, and we had a lot of fun and it was, there was nobody had COVID and the, the ship was spotlessly clean. Well, I, I am looking forward to it. Good. Well, we're going to put you down and I'm going to remind everyone the, I'll tell you what, Peter, we will send you since we clearly are having a problem. Um, I'm going to ask Margie to send you the PDF of the nice rental increase letter. So if anyone would like a copy of that, they can text Peter yes. at 678-557-9759. Now you have a friend in the mortgage business. I will provide that to anyone who asks and, Peter, and give them a, a, a good, you got to do it this year. You got to do it. Well, you really do. And uh, you, the, one of the things that strikes me as odd, when people own a rental property free and clear, they seem less motivated to increase the rent. And I just, I don't understand that. You know, um, I have a friend in another business and he has a email address that has someone else's name within his company, but that person doesn't exist. But he uses that email address to, to be tough with his customers. And He's removing himself from the situation, and it seems as if, and it's usually in charge of collecting debts that uh, to his from his customers, and it takes him out of the situation because he does he wants to be the smiling happy person, but he uses this third person anonymously on an email address. So it appears to the reader to be coming from someone else. And he finds will, it, 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 it gives him I, I more will confidence. Share with you, let me share with you her name. It is Joetta Pullen. But I thought that was a great idea to take yourself out of the personal and the emotional side of the of the We call that good cop, bad cop. Yes. And it works like a charm. When my tenants don't pay, I call them up and say, you know what? If it were up to me, you would never have to pay any rent. But the guy that does collections here is a real jerk. And he's going to have you up in front of a judge. So don't say I didn't tell you. <laughs> but it ain't me, babe. I love you. <laughs> Peter Burke, as always, we appreciate your insights and we appreciate your support. Look forward to seeing you on the Expo Cruise coming Got up it. a year and two weeks from now, okay? When you send me that letter, I'll send it out to whoever wants it. Fantastic. Folks, everybody get in touch with Peter right now and request the nice rent increase letter. I promise your tenants will be delighted to pay higher rent once you send this letter out. So... Margie, will you take care of that? Yeah, I'm working on it. Make it your goal for 2022.
I like it. I like it. Raise those rents. All right, Peter, we thank you as always so long. And we Happy are Saturday, everybody. We are going to visit with our friend Dykes Botterford. Um, it is a little bit early. I'm just going to go ahead and run this thing um, because I think you'll really enjoy it. I asked Dykes Botterford to share with us his um, ideas on how we should approach the market, the real estate investors market in 2022. Here's what he had to say. Watch your screen. And welcome to the Real Estate Coffee Break. I'm your host, John Adams, along with our very special guest here in January, Dykes Bodiford. Hello, Dykes. How are you, my friend? Hello, John. Thank you for having me on. I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Um, I saw that uh, another part of our presentation today has been a video from Warren Buffett who said real estate is a lousy investment. <laughs> and uh, I have decided to, to, I won't take issue with Warren Buffett. I'm not sure you can actually do that, but, but I will beg to differ and say that I think he means from a um, institutional standpoint, if you're limited as he is to investing in REITs and massive commercial developments, his point is it's too competitive. But you've made a career in investing in things that maybe other people might not be interested in. Dykes, how has that worked? And why do you think real estate is going to be an opportunity for us in 2022? Well, people have to have somewhere to live. It's a necessity. It's not, uh, it's not something that uh, you can play around with. That, uh, and I think that the, the prices are going to pretty much hold up during 22, uh, mainly because the inventory uh, amount is low and the cost of materials are so high for building new properties. So I, I think it's going to hold up for a while and I think it's going to make uh, good money for those that already own property. And the ones that don't own property, it, uh, I think you need to be looking at getting into owning some property. You may not go gangbusters and buying property until the prices settle in and, and maybe even uh, dip a little bit, which is going to happen in the next few years. It always does. But uh, I think it, it's one of the best places that you can invest your money and time. Remember, most other investments don't allow you to gain something from the time you put into it, but real estate does. That's called sweat equity. And that's what brought me into real estate to start with, because I didn't have no money. You know, it's interesting. Um... Our friend um, John Schaub talks about buying one house a year. And, yeah. and I've heard you say that a real danger is for people to, to get overly enthusiastic and try to go out and buy 10 or 15 properties uh, all at once. I'm assuming you are still not advising people to do that. I am certainly not advising people to do that. You will learn so much. You go to every class that's out there, read every book on Amazon, and you still won't know the, the a good deal and how to deal with the property until you actually own one. So go buy a property and don't buy your next property until you feel comfortable with it, that you know how to deal with the property itself and you know how to deal with the tenants. Remember, the asset is not the property. The assets are tenants. 
you need to know how to deal with those tenants. That's a, that's a lifelong learning situation there. Boy, it sure is. And, you know, meeting their needs without letting them walk all over you is as much an art as it is a science, I think. And you're right. It's, it's a, um, a lifelong skill, something that we have to keep practicing, but, but uh, I agree a hundred percent. Well, listen, you had some new year's ideas that you were kind enough to share with us. Dykes, I'm going to go to those now um, on the screen. And uh, I wonder if we could just sort of talk about them together and, and see what you had in mind. So sure. let me advance to your first slide here. And this says, if you already own property, um, and so I'm going to take advantage of you for just a second here. If someone is listening or they're watching right now on the coffee break, and they're, they're just brand new to this. I mean, they, they think it's an interesting topic, but they don't even own the home they live in. What would your advice be to somebody who's just getting started? Um, or should they run out and buy a house or, or what if they don't own property? If you don't own property, you need to evaluate your situation financially to begin with. Uh, you need to have an emergency fund. If you haven't built your emergency fund yet, that's the first thing you need to do. I don't need to talk about that because Dave Ramsey and there's so many other speakers, including you, John, have talked about building an emergency fund because you never know when cars going to uh, uh, blank out on you, uh, kids need uh, the doctor. Uh, or something else uh, breaks and you've got to, to come up with the cash. You don't want to be putting all that on credit cards. You want to feel comfortable that uh, you have the capital to, to take care of the problem. But as soon as you do, you reach whatever level you feel comfortable with in your emergency fund, then you need to start looking at property. Now you can buy a property with no money down. That is very easy. I shouldn't say easy to do, but it's very common. You've done it, John. I've done it. It's not something that uh, that it takes a tremendous amount of expertise. But understand, when you buy for no money down, most of the time, probably 85% of the time, you're buying at market or even above market, either because of the terms or because of the price that you've agreed on. So be careful with that. You just need to, to have a good education as well as you can get. Uh, up front and then start looking at houses and don't let it uh, let it beat you up if you don't get the first house you uh, put a contract on uh, even the 50th house uh, i've heard several speakers say that uh, they suggest you do 100 houses before you uh, get serious and actually buy one but i don't think it, it didn't take me that many but I'm, i imagine i looked at 40 to 60 and made offers on 40 to 60 before i got my first uh, deal um, another problem that people run into is they think they've got to get a deep discounted property uh, purchased. And that's the only way that they, they feel like the only way they can make money is to make it going into the property. Well, John, you and I know we've been in this business long enough that we know that even if you make a bad investment, as long as it's a good property, you'll work out of that over a period of years and actually make money on it. Just maybe not as much as you would have otherwise but it's not a reason to, to wait for the next five years to find a good deal. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, this goes all the way back to Carlton Sheets, who you may remember from many, many uh, late night TV shows and so forth. But basically his philosophy was 
first, you've got to see a lot of houses. And then second, you have to make a lot of offers. Right. And, and his idea was that we're looking for someone who is highly motivated to be done with their real estate for whatever reason. Um, and if you can help that person meet their needs, uh, you may end up with a good opportunity there. Absolutely. And, and, and I've always taken the position. I know you have too. I would love to do business with that person again. I, I, in fact, I have, we bought, <laughs> we bought a church one time Dykes, and then we ended up buying six or seven houses from the parishioners of that church. <laughs> As the preacher kept recommending, well, call Brother Adams. He'll take care uh -huh. of him. So uh, I, I figured God was looking over my shoulder on that one. But taking care let, of me. Yeah. So let's let's look at your your thoughts here. You mentioned do a portfolio evaluation. Dykes, what would that entail? Well, a portfolio evaluation has helped me over the years, and I think it's helped a lot of other people that I've talked uh, to about doing it. And basically it's just making a spreadsheet. Uh, it doesn't have to be line graph paper, just take a piece of notebook paper, put some column, make some columns and head those columns with both subjective and objective uh, criteria, such as ease of maintenance, um, uh, the cash flow on the property, net cash flow on the property, uh, ease of, of uh, getting a renter, uh, quality of the renters for that uh, neighborhood. Uh, quality of the property. You can you can head up uh, as many columns as you want or as few as you want. My experience is no matter what you uh, list, uh, you're gonna come out with pretty much the same answer anyway. And that is this: you're going to go uh, have each house listed on the left hand side, and then you're gonna start out with the first column, uh, ease of rental, uh, and you can do one to five, one to ten, or as John Mangum says, and you just told me about. Uh, ABC, and I, you'll chime in on that a little later, but you can do any of these and then look at your totals for all of your properties over all the columns, add them up, and you'll find that there's a, there's one or two or three houses that are coming up on the bottom in, in any of the criteria that you uh, have, except for maybe a couple of uh, criteria. And that's a house you need to target to um, get out of in the next year as part of your year in or your year coming up resolution, because you, you need to move out of the properties that are either taking a lot of your mental energy or taking a lot of your physical energy or taking a lot of your physical dollars and move into something that you don't have to worry so much about. When you put a tenant in, they're in there for five to seven years, not for six months to a year. Uh, the the uh, uh, systems aren't breaking down left and right. You might have to put an air conditioner in or uh, put a new roof on, but that's you know that's expected. You know houses do deteriorate over a period of time. Well, Dice, I have something that's going to eat up everything. You got yeah, I have to share with you. You have heard me complain. I know over the years about these two houses that I bought up in Liberty Commons subdivision, which apparently is somewhere in Kennesaw or Ackworth. I don't That's know where. The, was that the builders, the uh, builders uh, model? Uh, model homes. I bought two yeah. model homes, sight unseen, um, with, with a lease from the builder 
for at least two years with an option for a third and fourth year while right. he built out the subdivision. So it was cash flow from day one. I was, you know, I didn't even have to go out there. And the deal was when he got done with it, he would return it to brand new condition. And then uh, he had a, a, a property manager up there who was ready to take it over and rent it on day one. So I thought, man, this is good for me. Well, the problem I had, Dykes, was that if you get out a map and try to go from Decatur to Ackworth, it's physically impossible. Yeah. There are no roads that go there. One time <laughs> I tried and I ended up in Dalton. I bought some carpet, turned around, came back, and I thought, well, I'll just catch it on the way back. But before I could stop, I'd slid all the way to 285. And Anyway, I finally sold the last one of those <laughs> last year. <laughs> there was my point here is in terms of your property evaluation, there was nothing wrong with those homes. It was a John problem. Yeah. I it was not convenient to me. Therefore, it represented a problem. So when the yeah. when when the uh, manager called and said, "Look, somebody needs to cut this tree down. We can do it for $12,000." And I said, whoa, let's find somebody local. Well, I couldn't meet anybody there because I didn't know how to get there. And it was impossible anyway. And that was not the house's problem. Yeah. That was that was my problem. And so yeah. I think it's interesting that sometimes in our evaluation, we're not just looking at the house, but we're looking at ourselves right. and what, what our abilities are. The next thing you'd said here was do an entity evaluation. What is that all about? Yeah, well, you need to periodically look at how you're holding the properties. Are you, do you have them all in your own name, which is perfectly fine if you only have one or two properties. But as you gain more properties, you're showing up on the records more and more. And all of a sudden you become uh, viewed as one of those rich landlords. And you may be living penny to penny, depending on every rent to make all your payments, but they still consider you a rich landlord. So instead of being having your name over the public records uh, and also the, the possibility of getting sued, uh, you know, if by a tenant or contract or whatever, uh, you want those houses in an entity like a LLC or a land trust uh, or some combination, maybe in a corporation if it's a quick turn property for tax reasons. So you need to evaluate what your entities are, how much you have in each entity, how much exposure to liability you've got, and what kind of tax picture does that paint? So you need to look at entities uh, periodically, once a year is certainly uh, the minimum to, to do that. Um, I'm going to uh, take the liberty of bragging on you just a little bit. You wrote a book that was instrumental in my, uh, Margie and me did an evaluation based on this book. You wrote it called Entity Selection. Is that book still around? No, John, I had to retire that book. I, I just couldn't keep up with uh, all the information and detailed enough in a small little book. I still have the class, uh, uh, home study class on corporations, LLCs, and other asset protections. Well, I'm going to recommend to everybody within the sound of my voice that they go to your website at assets, that's A-S-S-E-T-S, 101.com for two reasons. One is you've got a, a great 
um, wealth of informational material that's uh, available there. But also on the front page is a picture of your good looking daughter. And we don't have to just stare at you. How is Dorsey doing these days? I know she's happily married. She's got a baby. I understand there's one on the way. That's right. She's due for with a second uh, baby in May of this coming year. It's going to be a girl. We'll have two grandchildren as girls. Well, congratulations to you and to to her and her husband. And uh, I just I she was I remember as a very I call her a youngster. I think she was in high school or college and uh, she would tag along with you to some of the events that you and I were involved in. And I just always thought, what's going on in her mind with her dad talking about <laughs> hard money lending and assets and so forth. Yeah. And she's, she's done right well, hadn't she? She has. Uh, she got it out of Georgia Tech and said, Dad, I don't want to go work for somebody else. I want to work on my own. So we I told her she could try it if she wanted to. And she did. And she did was very successful at it. Okay, so back to our entity evaluation here. The next thing you have uh, is what are your biggest problems? And by that, what direction are you wanting us to look at? Well, if you own property, certainly the this obvious that you need to look at what are your biggest problems with the property that you already own. If you don't own property yet, what's the biggest problem in your life that's keeping you from investing? And once you get the answer to that, then you can make it use as part of your plan how you're going to overcome that problem or problems. And you keep them foremost in your mind, you'll find a solution much quicker than just doing this once, putting it in your desk, waiting the next January 1st. It's interesting to me. Uh, I'll never forget. I talked to somebody years and years ago and I said, when is the right time to buy real estate? And they said, you know, there's never a right time. It's a little bit like having a baby. Um, you just have to make up your mind and say, we're going to do everything we can to make this happen. But if you wait for the right time, it may not ever come. Yeah. And if you uh, focus on your challenges and your problems and address those head on, it makes sense that that would help prepare you to be in a position to make an offer uh, when when a pretty good deal comes along. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I bought my first three properties in 1980 and 81. And uh, there's, John, you and I were around uh, that time. A lot of the listeners probably weren't. That's that was when interest rates hit 18%. Uh, uh, that was FHA interest rates. Yeah, yeah. So hard money rates were 25, 30%. So I bought my first three houses because nobody else was out looking at property and therefore the sellers had dropped to rock bottom prices because they couldn't get even people interested in it. You know, it, it, it's, you talk about competition and there wasn't a lot of competition at that time. And people say that there is so much competition now. And yet, um, I think about market in inefficiencies. And one of those inefficiencies is when you've got a seller who is highly motivated for some reason, maybe it's family, maybe it's financial, maybe it's health, maybe it's job loss or death in the family, heaven forbid, whatever. Um, things happen in people's lives. That's not going to change. And our market, we've got what? 2 million residences in Metro Atlanta alone. 
and we need more, as you pointed out. Um, I don't think it's possible for the market to operate efficiently. For example, if if you or I bought a share of Coca-Cola uh, from Fidelity Investments, we would know that at that moment, that's what Coke was selling for. Right. And it's the same, whether you buy it from Charles Schwab or whoever, at that moment, that's what, but with a piece of real estate, it's not that way. And by understanding other people's problems, we can structure win-win transactions that benefit the seller and right. benefit us. And I know you've done a lot of that. And one of the things people have always liked me too about your training is that you go into deals with a win-win philosophy. Would you elaborate on that a little bit? How does that work? Well, John, a lot of people think there's only win-lose, that one person uh, is going to win, the other person is going to lose. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's finding out what the other person's hot buttons are. Let them win on the things that are their hot buttons so that you can win on the things that are your hot buttons. And sometimes that takes a uh, compromise. You got to also remember, how many houses do you need? 10 houses free and clear is all that you really need. So how hard is it to buy 10 houses if you're going to be investing for 20 or 30 years? Not that hard, yeah. even if you buy them at market. So I, I think, uh, I think that, uh, that this is something that anybody can uh, pretty much do. It doesn't take any PhDs, that's for sure. As you know, I graduated in my class at Emory summa cum difficulty. <laughs> I, I was in the third of my class uh, that made the upper two thirds possible. So, uh, um, and then this is interesting to me, even if you own no property now, do a business plan. What does that mean? Well, a lot of people will talk about making up budgets, making up goals. Any business that, that's out there, or any investment company that's out there is going to do a business plan. So if, if the big guys do the business plans, why don't you do a business plan as an individual and then hold yourself to that? Uh, review it periodically, at least once a month to once a quarter. And if you need to revise the plan, revise it. But that will keep in the front of your mind what your objectives are for that year and what you're trying to accomplish. So that's what a business plan will do. If you only own property, it's going to be dealing with property you already own plus new properties that you might want to buy or, or plan to buy. If you own no property now, business plan is about getting everything ready and buying something. Uh, a lot of people are always getting prepared to invest and that, you can't do that forever. Business plan will hold your feet to the fire on a timeline. You know, it's, uh, it is interesting because um, I, I, there are so many people that appear to me to get bogged down in the paralysis of analysis. Right. And I, cer I certainly understand the importance of, of, you know, looking before you leap, but the reality is the deal of a lifetime will come along about once a month if you're looking for it. Right. But if, if you don't act quickly, somebody else is going to buy that deal of a lifetime. That's right. You so, got to put yourself in the way of opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I've always said that about the Marines. You want to get in the action, join the Marines, buddy. <laughs> They're first, you know. So uh, there's one more thing here I do want to touch on. And 
we had mentioned the ABC test. We're not going to have time for that today. But I do want to focus on a SWOT test because I think it's a little bit the same as what you were thinking of as a property evaluation. And here is just a, uh, a simple form, Dykes, that asks you in any situation, whether it's a particular house you're considering, or even if you're looking at yourself, this will be a good, I think, self-assessment. As if you don't own real estate, let's talk about um, John Adams wants to buy his first house in 2022. Okay, mm -hmm. what, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What opportunities are out there? And what are the threats? And I'm gonna ask you real quickly, just to address the opportunities that you see out there in 2022, whether it's for, and by the way, that's going to lead us to a mentioning of your hard money lending class, which is coming up in February of this year. Folks can learn more at assets101.com. That's A-S-S-E-T-S-101.com. And, uh, but talk a little about opportunities you see for 2022? Well, the opportunities uh, involve properties and, and property owners that uh, think this is a high market and they can't buy anything. Uh, so, uh, but they need to sell because their job moves them or they quit the job. You know, this is, this is a, a time when a lot of people are resigning from their uh, jobs they've had for years because there's so many openings that they can move to something else and make more money. Well, that may involve a move from one side of the city to the other, from one city across the country, whatever. So there are opportunities out there of houses that can be purchased and not in the real estate um, uh, broker's um, uh, listing, right. but rather individuals. So you might uh, study up on knocking on doors uh, like the, the old vacuum cleaner salesman and uh, and find out what uh, what's going on in the neighborhood by talking to several people that you might see out state um, uh, brokers um, uh, listing right. but rather individuals so you might uh, study up on knocking on doors uh, like the the old vacuum cleaner salesman and uh and find out what uh what's going on in the neighborhood by talking to several people that you might see out gardening or cleaning up the yards not in 27 degree weather like we've had uh, this <laughs> today but on nice warm sunny days uh, i did a lot of driving around talking to people uh, working in their yards uh, on saturdays and sundays while i worked for somebody else that's how i found several of my houses so it's, there's it's, always opportunities. Yeah, there sure is. It's, uh, and I thought it was interesting that you said not necessarily in the multiple listing service. That's right. I, I think it's important to recognize that um, once it has made it into the MLS, the likelihood of it being a particularly good deal for you decreases dramatically, at least in my opinion. That's and right. and if we can find, I'll tell you who I have run into this year is already, and today is just what, the uh, January 8th, Saturday the 8th, I've had more than one senior landlord call me and say, 
John, we did what you said. We bought 10 houses. We own them all free and clear. And we're getting to that age where we don't want to fool with them anymore. And we are stunned at the prices people are talking about. Would this be a good time to sell? And these people are thinking, Dykes, about selling to the tenants and taking back paper. What are your uh -huh. thoughts? What are your thoughts? I think that can be a good way to play the end game where you want to ease out of the daily um, uh, mishmash of fixing property and trying to get new tenants in and all and giving the tenant a good place to live uh, for their life uh, as well. And uh, you get a good income, you got a good collateral, you know the collateral. If for some reason they fall out and default and don't pay you, then you can always take the property back over, either get them to sign it back over to you, or even if you have to go to the uh, foreclosure process, which by the way, Georgia's got some of the best foreclosure law in the country, uh, you can get that property back. So I think selling to the tenant is, is a good, um, and it actually, it's an exemption under the uh, Dodd-Frank rules as well. So you don't have to worry about any any uh, uh, problems with the government uh, saying you shouldn't have sold to a proper to a, a homeowner occupant. Well, I spend all my time worried about what the government thinks. So let, <laughs> that's let, what they want you to do. That's right. Let's <laughs> let's try to avoid that. Last but not least, you have a program coming up. I'm going to look real quick and double check because I want to make sure we get the dates correct. And you were right. I have. Uh, now that's a uh, hard money lending online class. This begins February 21st, and this is going to be on the internet platform. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. It's for those people that have money just sitting, either investors that have sold some property and just have money sitting and uh, not really looking for another property right now. Is for people that are in their uh, retirement uh, phase of their their lives, like I kind of am semi-retired, uh, that have capital available. Maybe you have uh, capital in a self-directed IRA or 401k, solo 401k, or there's family money. Uh, your mother, your uncle, whatever has some money, and you know enough about property to know what's good deal and what's not, and about uh, how to get it fixed up if you had to take it over and you make loans to commercial users that's people that are going to do flipping of property or they're going to buy a property and fix it up and rent it out and they they may have a problem that they can't get money from the banks they own too many properties their credit took a ding for some reason maybe at medical bills or whatever uh or the the property needs to be fixed up before it can get permanent financing those are all reasons they might come to a hard money lender who might charge anywhere from eight to 15% uh, for the money. And it's short-term loans, uh, six months to a year. So uh, I've got a 300 page manual that comes along with the class. And we actually send out the physical manual to those who have signed up for the class. It's going to be uh, uh, online. It's about uh, 12 hours of class online. Uh, we're gonna have live Q and A sessions, uh, three evenings. Uh, which are also going to be recorded and available for everybody to see during the the time the class goes on and uh, the class um, uh, actually runs about two and a half to three weeks uh, and you get to look at the videos anytime you want to but then we keep all that available to the the attendees for another month so they can go back and study things that 
they weren't sure about or wanted to, to bone up on. There's so a lot of text any, in the manual. Go ahead. Yeah, if, if anybody's worried about Dykes, your physical safety, you will actually be broadcasting from an underground bunker in an <laughs> undisclosed location so that yeah. no, no harm can come to you or them by participating. Is that correct? Well, I certainly hope not. <laughs> you know, Margie and I have been to uh, most, if not all of your classes, Dykes. Sure. They are entertaining, but more importantly, they meet a need that uh, is particularly um, important for people that are, as you say, uh, in a position in life where they may have accumulated a little bit of cash, it may be in a retirement vehicle, and you have really been on the forefront of helping people take those retirement funds and make something of them that couldn't have been couldn't have happened in just a savings account or the right. stock market or or whatever. And I want to thank you for that personally. I know a lot of people listening right now. Um, uh, also owe you a, a debt of gratitude, but for people that don't know you, um, they should go directly to assets101.com. We'll have this posted at our real estate coffee break site as well and direct people right over to you because it's a great class and I know one that uh, people will really benefit from. So, and now you're just giving this away. Is that correct? This is free. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> I'm a capitalist. It, it was worth a try. <laughs> I, I thought maybe while we had you here live on the coffee break, you'd, you'd break down and invite all my people, but that's yeah. okay. It is, you know, for anybody that's going to be serious about this, it is an investment that is well worthwhile. Dykes, any final words? I'm going to turn off our, our shared screen here and, and just let you, uh, take the microphone. One, we really appreciate you joining us on this short notice, but helping us get off to a good start in 2022. Any final words for folks joining us right now? Well, one thing I want to uh, make sure is the people that are listening don't wait until next January of 23 and say, I wish I had done something. I want to hear from you that you've made plans and you have uh, executed those plans in improving your portfolio. Maybe you don't buy any new properties during this coming year, uh, but improve your portfolio, improve your tenants. You need to learn about landlording. John, you teach a class on landlording that uh, I think was very valuable. And you're, you're our, um, your guide, your- Landlord uh, survival guide. Landlord yeah. survival guide, survival is what I was trying to remember. Uh, it's so good. And I still got a uh, uh, copy on the shelf that I have reviewed even after I'd been in the business 20 something years, you know, I was still, uh, and I still do, except now I'd have uh, both the property managers for properties I have uh, still that I still hold. And then a few properties I got uh, under a uh, master lease with an investor that uh, manages the property and we share in the profits. So, you know, it, it's, it's something that you need to, to do and learn and over 22, take the time to solve those problems that you have and increase your investment, increase your portfolio. Great advice from a great 
trainer and a, a longtime friend. Please give our love to Miss Debbie and tell her we're thinking about her and and uh, hope she gets a complete recovery real soon. And uh, wish Thank you, you tremendous continued success. And by the way, Margie in the background says, hey, Dykes. Okay, tell Margie I said hi too. I promise I'll do it. Dykes right. Botterford, assets101.com. We'll see you real soon. Thanks, you, Dykes. Bye, -bye. Bye now. What a, um, a great presentation. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, um, I'm going to be joined by <clears throat> my evil twin, Eva, Ian Robbins, who is uh, going to uh, log in and tell us about what's on landlord's minds. We're going to be looking at first um, what Warren Buffett has to say. I can't wait to get uh, Ian's ideas on uh, what I'm going to stop the screen share here. There we go. At least I hoped I stopped the screen share. Yeah, I did. Um, we're going to get uh, Ian's ideas on what Warren Buffett has to say about real estate investment. And we will also talk about uh, Robert Kiyosaki one more time. I'm so disappointed in Robert. He's He's done some great stuff over the years, but this, um, I don't know. We'll talk about it. Maybe Ian can uh, ease my mind. How about that? In the meantime, we are going to take a very short intermission. I'm going to go back over here to this screen. And now I'm going to go bang, bang, bang. Whoop, that didn't work. We'll be right back after this brief message. And we are back. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you today on January the 8th, this very special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. I am joined by my very special guest, and as I said earlier, my evil twin, Ian Robbins. How are you, my friend? Doing great, John, and Happy New Year. Margie, I'm having the same problem. Would you explain to me what's going on? Ian, you're fine. I've got to turn you on over here. Now say something. Happy New Year, everybody. See? It says, do I need to select a different speaker? This is so weird. Well, anyway, Ian, it's a joy to see you. Um, wow, didn't we get some good information out of Dykes Botterford? We sure did, John. And you mentioned something about when you went to Emory University. I want to start off the year by bragging on you a little bit and let everybody know that um, I was doing some reading over the holiday about John and this man is talking the talk. So specifically when John was in college and I'm gonna cheat here and look at my notes, uh, John took a class on real estate and let's see, he went ahead and he was told to evaluate an apartment complex. That's well, true. John found a 38 unit apartment complex and it was tired he bought it for $1,000 down. And guess what, everybody? He got an A in the class. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, 
That's a hard I'm going to. That's that has been a long time. And the professor in that class is a man that I learned a lot from and admired. And he was um, largely responsible for my entrance into the world of real estate. It was Dr. John J. Andrews. And uh, Ian, you were right behind me a few years. And I think you took Dr. Andrews uh, course as well. But I didn't buy an apartment complex. I had to learn a few, John, and bought a few houses along the way. But that, that's incredible. How did you, you know deal what? with you and I right away? You and I should go drive out there. The property address is 1177 Simpson Road, Northwest Atlanta. And those of you who have been in Northwest Atlanta know it's a little bit of a rough part of town. Of course, now... It may be uh, completely renovated and have beautiful homes on it. But at that time, all of this, these were brick buildings. Uh, they were two bedroom, one bath. And they rented for 70, actually $69 and 50 cents a month. Wow. And we attempted to raise the rent from 69.50 to 74.50. That was widely rejected by the tenants. <laughs> and, and there's still some in there from rent control. They're still paying $69.50. Is that what's I, going on? Probably so. Thank God that rent control is illegal in Georgia. And we don't have to fool around with that. Um, Ian, I want you, please, to watch Mr. Warren Buffett. And as you know, I am a big fan of Mr. Buffett. I've met him personally. Margie has groomed him. <laughs> I just straightened his hair. Oh, Margie now says she just straightened his hair. I think you should open your mic and explain yourself. I'm sorry, I'm busy. Oh, she is refusing to explain. We were in uh, Disney World at the Swan and the Dove or something like that. The the Swan and the Shark. The I, I, some gigantic Disney complex. And I was speaking. This was the uh, Shaw Industries, who makes more carpet than everybody else in the world put together um, up in Dalton, Georgia, had their annual dealers convention um, at Disney World. And I had been hired, Margie and I were hired to come down and speak on financial planning for um, store owners. Even though I don't know anything about store owners, I do know about self-employed individuals because that's what you are in real estate if you, unless you work for somebody big. Um, and so I got ready to give my little speech and so forth the night before Berkshire Hathaway corporation had purchased Shaw industries, lock stock and barrel. And of course, Mr. Shaw, as, as is his custom, um, Warren Buffett insisted that the management remain in place 
he doesn't, he doesn't like to go in and shake things up. He wants everything to stay pretty much the way it is. And, uh, the, there was a real air of excitement, but, uh, he showed up the next morning and he looked like a homeless man. He was awful. His, he looked like he had slept in his suit and his hair was just wild. And Margie had to take him aside and pull him together. <laughs> hey, that's great. Made him look good. Anyway, um, I'm going to be interested, Ian, in your response to Warren Buffett. So let's go to, I'm going to have to advance the slides. No, that's not it. There. Now, let's enter 2-1. Ah, here we go. So I'm going to share the screen, and I want everybody at home to watch. And uh, we'll just see what... Uh, Warren Buffett has to say. We've both had a fair amount of experience in real estate and Charlie made his early money in real estate. The second point is the more important point. It's not, real estate is not a commodity, but I think it tends to be more accurately priced, particularly developed real estate, more accurately priced most of the time. Now, during the RTC period, when you had huge amounts of transactions and you had a you had an owner that didn't want to be an owner in a very big way and they didn't know what the hell they owned and all of that sort of thing, I mean, you had a lot of mispricing then, and I know a few people in this room that made a lot of money off of that. But under most conditions, it's it's hard to find real estate that's really mispriced. I mean, when I look at when I look at the transactions that REITs engage in currently, and you get a lot of information on that sort of thing. They're very similar, but it's a competitive world and, and you know, they all know about what a class A office building in, you know, in Chicago or wherever it may be is going to produce. So at least they have, they may all be wrong as it turns out because of some unusual events, but, but it's hard to argue with the current conventional wisdom most of the time in the real estate world. But occasionally there, there have been some, you know, there, there, there could be big opportunities in the field, but if it, if they exist, it will certainly be because there's a, there probably there'll be a lot of chaos in real estate financing for one reason or another. We've done some real estate financing and uh, you have to have the money shut off to quite a degree, probably to get any big mispricing across the board. Charlie? Yeah, we don't have any competitive advantage over experienced real estate investors in the field and we wouldn't have if we were operating with our own money as a partnership and if you operate as a corporation such as ours which is taxable under chapter c of the internal revenue code you get a whole layer of corporate taxes between the real estate income and the use of the income by the people who own the real estate so by its nature, real estate tends to be a very lousy investment for people who are taxed under subchapter C of the code relating to corporations. So the combination of having it generally a lousy activity for people with our tax structure and having no special competence in the field means that we spend almost no time thinking about anything in real estate. And then such real estate as we've actually 
done like holding surplus real estate and trying to sell it off, I'd say we have a poor record at yeah, C-Corps really do, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know there are C-Corps around that, that, that are in real estate, but there are other structures that are more attractive. There really aren't other structures. I mean, Lloyd's is an attempt at it to some degree, but there aren't other structures that work well for big insurance companies. Or, I mean, you can't have a Walmart very well that, that does not exist in a C-Corp. So they are not subject to S-Corp or partnership competition that determines the returns on capital in, 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 in the discount store field. But if you're competing with S, the equivalent of S-Corps, REITs, uh, or partnerships or individuals, you're, you've just got an economic disadvantage as a C-Corp, which is, for the, those of you who don't love reading the Internal Revenue Code, is just a standard vanilla corporation that you think of, all of the Dow Jones companies, all of the S&P companies, and so on. And uh, as Charlie says, it's unlikely that the disadvantage of our structure combined with the competitive nature of people with better structures buying those kinds of assets will ever lead to anything really interesting. Although I would say that we missed the boat to some extent during the RTC days. I mean, uh, it was a sufficiently inefficient market at that time and there was a lack of financing that we could have made a lot of money if we were, had been geared up for it at that time. We, we actually had a few transactions that were pretty interesting, but, not, but nothing that was significant in relation to our total capital. We thought significantly about buying the Irvine Corporation yeah. when it became available. So that's the only big one I can remember that we seriously thought about. Yeah, that, that, that was in 1977 or so. Way there. Back. Yeah, Mobile Oil was interested in, you know, Don Brent ended up putting together a group for it. But, you know, that kind of thing could conceivably happen, but it's unlikely. All right. Very interesting. I've got just a few little slides here that I would love. Uh, Ian. We both had a fair amount. Going to get past that. We both had a fair amount of experience. There we go. And what I, yeah, that's okay. Here we go. And, um. Ian, I'd like to get your initial response because now that I've listened to it again, it makes more sense than it did the first time I listened to it, but you're smarter than I am. So tell me what, what was, what was Warren Buffett saying there? Well, John, I took a lot of notes and um, he said so many key points, one that real estate's not a commodity and it's, it is accurately priced most of the time, but your slide there talks about inefficiencies. And I think what you've taught us all very well is going back to motivated sellers, and he touched on it a little bit about some inefficiencies, but in, in a corporate world, but for us down on the earth here, uh, the point is, is that there's inefficiencies in real estate you got to look for them with the motivated sellers. And yeah, there's competition like you talked about in the last hour, but it's just a function of goes back to those four words, see houses, make offers. And in a way they were saying, you know, one thing he said at the end was there was some inefficiencies with the RTCs. And right. then he said, quote unquote, but we weren't geared up on it. 
And, and that's he should have talked to John Adams and got geared up first, and then he could have <laughs> jumped in. But well, was, the other thing that struck me, having now watched this and thought about it, is that what a daunting task for them to have a pot of several hundred millions of dollars and try to invest that to the benefit of all of their partners and stockholders. And you can't do that one house at a time. I, I, I realize some people in Wall Street are now trying to do that one house at a time, but I'm not, I think the, the verdict is still out on whether or not that's gonna be successful. And I think what Mr. Buffett was talking about mostly was developed commercial properties that for the most part are already occupied. Right. And I don't think he's talking about detached single family homes. And one of the things that I'd like you and me to talk about for just a minute is inefficiencies that do exist, especially in a single family home market. Because we've got in Atlanta, Georgia, 6 million more or less uh, residents to, I think I read 2.2 million residences, uh, something like that. And the multiple listing service and Craigslist and Zillow and all that stuff Yes, it can be an efficient pricing engine, but things fall through the cracks. Absolutely. And that's what you and I are calling. And I don't want to, you know, get, I don't want to wallow in economics um, because one, we'll lose all of our audience instantaneously. <laughs> but uh, there, it's important to recognize that inefficiencies do occur. And here's an example. Um, and this is, again, what Warren Buffett said is price is what you pay, value is what you get. And the implication there is if you can pay less than the value, you've got a bargain. And, and that's sort of what we're all about in terms of looking at detached single family homes. This brings us to what is fair market value? And it's a legal term defined by the courts as the most probable price which a property would bring on the open market given prudent, knowledgeable, willing buyers and sellers not suffering undue pressure and the buyer and seller of the real estate determine the fair market value of the real estate. But I, I think it's interesting that an inefficient market is one in which an asset's price does not accurately reflect its value. And so I spent a, few, a little time last week looking up reasons or causes of market inefficiency in real estate. And I just sort of like you to react to some of these things because I don't think anybody Ian would argue that some of these factors don't exist. I mean, they're out there. And Absolutely, John. So 
how how would you as an investor look at these and say, well, um, these might be keys I should be looking for because it might create an opportunity for me as an investor? John, I so much appreciate the list because I see the four Ds that you've spoken about and right away and you've changed the last D to deterioration, which is great. Thank you for making that change. And then you've really opened the eyes of our audience about these others and they all exist. And so uh, my, my comment is, yeah, but going back to the last hour, even Dykes Boniford said something that struck home with me. He talked about because of all the layoffs, not layoffs, wrong word, all the resignations, um, right. because people were changing jobs. A lot of people are moving to change jobs and that creates an empty house. And that's not even on the list. And he's right. Now, they may not be as motivated as somebody with uh, these other problems here. So um, no, this, this says a lot that there's still going to be those inefficiencies where, as you had said, with Coca-Cola, that's not going to happen with a Coca-Cola stock. We know, ex yeah, we know exactly what it's selling for. I mean, within a few seconds, in many cases, all over the world. In contrast, we start talking about real estate and what Ian Robbins thinks it's worth may be very different than what John Adams thinks it's worth. And neither is right nor wrong. It's just a matter of interpretation. Um, I, I brought up with Dykes and I'll mention to you again, the property that was, I sold this year or last year, that was in Ackworth. There's nothing wrong with Ackworth. It's a very nice area. The high school there is highly rated. Uh, people that live in that area really seem to enjoy it, but it's physically a long way from me. Now that doesn't, that's not saying anything. Uh, I saw, uh, Ian, you'll love this. You know, we're in downtown Decatur near Emory and there's a new um, spa, I guess you'd say, that says on the ad, I saw it on TV last week, conveniently located in Woodstock. <laughs> Back in the day, the Woodstock was where the farms and the cows were, right? Wait, convenient to who? <laughs> well, I guess if you happen to be in Woodstock, it's convenient. But if you look at Metro Atlanta, um, <laughs> Woodstock is not convenient to most people. So, but I, you know, without dwelling on uh, problems that humans have, uh, there is prejudice. Uh, there, there are bad neighbors. I'll, I remember a friend of mine telling me one time they called and said, please buy my house. And I said, why? They said, because we hate the neighbors. There was nothing wrong with the house, the neighborhood, it was a good value, but the neighbors had dogs and uh, cars in various stages of disassembly. They had a garbage dump in their backyard. And these people were just, 
I guess you'd say hillbillies. Um, and they really did bring down values in the neighborhood. Um, you know I would, I'd call that a negative externality. And, and John, as real estate investors, I think we have vision. And I had a situation with the next door neighbor and this was many years ago and people would pull up to the house and the dog would be on the other side of the fence, but jump out of its skin and with its teeth. And it was terrible. Yep. Um, and, and someone suggested put up a fence. And do you know that 10 years later, that fence is still there. It's not doing too good right now, but I got 10 years out of it. And my point is, is that I blocked the view and people would then pull up and that has been a very successful house. And I think our, group is one that has vision that can solve that problem where they weren't going to think about it. They just want to sell the house and give it to you, which is great. Yeah. And, and these causes are part of life. I mean, we, we just, I think it's important to recognize we're not going to, as investors, change the fact that some people are going to get divorced. Some people are going to pass away. Some people are going to use uh, drugs or alcohol or whatever they do in excess and ruin their lives. And some people are just lazy and don't want to do anything. And I, I'm, I don't think it is wrong for an investor to find a situation like this and say, I can put up a fence. I can do something that will improve this situation and make it more attractive and help the person who wants out at the same time. It's not our job, Ian, to solve everybody's problems. Um, that's, that's somebody else's department. But as far as somebody willing, who's willing to be flexible in their price or their terms, um, and they just want to sell their house, I think that may very well be an opportunity for us as real estate investors. What do you say? I think, John, you, you're spot on. There's two, I have a comment and a question for you. My first comment is something I brought up a couple of months ago, but you know, these are all very serious motivations. There are some times when there's not serious motivation. So one would be, well, I'll give you, Ian, you know, $10,000 off because um, I have to put $10,000 into it. I don't see that as a big motivation. Uh, but one of these emotions plus the $10,000, uh, the emotion could be the value that you can use. But here's my question that I appreciate because I love looking at the source and I don't like it, but I starting to agree. What Dyke said earlier last hour, he explained those times are not coming back when we were, well, the 6950 is not going to come back. The Ian Robbins buying a house at $85,000 is not going to come back. But it kills me when I'm looking at 150000 as a deal. Can you comment on that, sir? Because I need some therapy on $150,000. I have to admit, the older I get, the more I am like my father. You know those commercials where they say, we can't stop you from becoming your parents? 
I am guilty of that because my father used to say, boy, I don't see how anybody can buy a house for $85,000 and ever expect to make money because the house, you know, when, when he got back from world war two and married my mom and they started having kids, I think they paid $21,000 for a brand new house and he was worried about it. That was a lot of money, but he had the GI bill and my grandpa backed him up and said, if John, if payments are a hundred bucks a month, but if you can't make it, you come see me and I'll help you. I just think these prices are very relative And I think Dykes made an excellent point in the last hour where he said, um, one of the great benefits is we can make money over the time that we own the, the, the property. And this involves, um, raising the rent. Um, this involves having the, the, um, plans in place to cultivate tenants and to make sure that they do the right thing, but at the same time to value them as an an asset asset in and of themselves. And you and I've talked about that many, many times, but um, I, I just think it's important for us to recognize that there are inefficiencies, particularly in detached single family homes, because by definition, no two parcels of real estate can be identical. No two houses can be identical. And what that means is, I might happen to like a house with yellow paint, white trim and dark green shutters. Um, somebody else might like a, a house that is um, a more popular color today, like a sandstone and a cream. You know, I, I mean, they're just different color combinations. One is not right and the other one is not wrong. It just exists. And so if we can look at these causes of market inefficiency and say, We recognize that racial prejudice does exist. Um, I'm sorry that it does, but it does. I recognize that ignorance exists. I recognize human emotions exist. I know some people have wrong information. We can't solve, these are problems. We can't solve all the problems of the world. But as long as we do our homework, and see a lot of houses and make a lot of offers, I think even at today's prices, Ian, I think five years from now, 10 years from now, we're gonna look back and I know this sounds crazy, but I think we're gonna look back and say, you mean you were buying houses for only $150,000? I so much appreciate what you just said, John. And you, you said that through tape to me uh, 20 years ago and, and and I benefited from that and it's hard to swallow. But one aside on that, 
I was listening to someone about California and they were talking about a million, $1.2 million house. And the speaker was very good about, listen, everybody else listening on the other, on, in the country, please understand a $1.2 million house in California is not a big house. It's a two bedroom, one bath house. And, and I really appreciate it. I didn't like it either, but it, it, he was telling the truth. And well, it's, it. it is simply remarkable to me. And the same thing happened to me. Margie and I had only been married a few years. So this was, I guess, late seventies, early eighties. We went out to visit a fraternity brother of mine who had joined the Navy and he was in San Diego as a uh, physician. And physicians do pretty well in the Navy and he had a little money and so forth. And so they bought the two bedroom, one bath house they were in and let us stay in the master bedroom. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very tight. And he told me they had spent a million dollars. This was 30 years ago, Ian. Oh, that's amazing. That, and, that, you know, I was putting my hand, I was afraid my brain was going to explode. So I don't know. All right. So here's the last slide in this series. And I, I think the conclusion that I have come to is that the difference between me and Warren Buffett is he's trying to invest hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps even billions and his, because of his corporate structure and because of the size of, of the massive investment needs that he has, he is looking at a very different class of real estate than I'm looking at. And that makes me feel better because I'm looking for highly motivated sellers who are willing to be flexible on their price or their terms. So, so much for that. And one and more guess, thing about... Guess what time it is, Ian? I guess it's time to go. But can I just mention about Warren Buffett that I Please. so much appreciate because I love listening to his interviews and he, he likes to talk a lot about reading. And even that video that you showed, you can tell this was a very well-read individual. And if a guy's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars is promoting reading. I think for our audience that says that he thinks that's the most valuable use of his time and he's using it correctly. So I, I appreciate what he does. I appreciate that you brought to my attention this week, um, this article, which we're not going to have time to get to this week, but I'm going to send an email out to all of our subscribers, Ian, encouraging them to read this because this is the panty waste, communist, pinko, um, left wing, environmental wacko, Washington Post taking cheap shots at Atlanta real estate investors. Um, and it just burns me up. Notice the Atlanta Journal-Constitution didn't run this story. Notice that nobody else in the country is whining because 
um, and, and what is this? It's called Brooks Crossing. And here it is. And it, Brooks, it's in somewhere in South Atlanta, like Jonesboro or something. But they, this article goes on and on and on because the owners had the audacity to try to protect their interests during the illegal CDC ban on evictions, which was later vacated by the Supreme Court of the United States. Thank goodness. So I had to get that off my chest. But I'd like to talk about that next week. You brought it to my attention. It is a fascinating piece of whining. And we, I just want everybody to read this. And I'm sure this is a very nice person. I'm not trying to take anything away. But why the United States House of Representative Select Subcommittee decided to launch an investigation into Brooks Crossing, Brooks Crossing Management Company to see if they were mistreating their tenants. Excuse the hell out of me. All right, that was my vent. I agree with you, John. You always, it's good to get it out. I know it is. One, and I'm feeling better about it. One more thing that I'll mention before we leave, metaverse. Do you know oh. about the metaverse yet? I, I do a little bit. I was going to send you that article, but I like to talk about things I understand. I then saw another, my, my children showed me something on it. I know it's the future. And I am not an early adapter. <laughs> so. Well, apparently, um, you could open a, a virtual park called Robin's World. And by claiming that you have some sort of blockchain, you can say it will be limited to 25 lots and you're going to build on the first lot virtually. And so the remaining lots will be worth $10 million each. Right up there with Bitcoin. I still haven't figured that one out either. I, and I think they people are supposed to pay you in Bitcoin, which I don't think is worth anything, but I'm coming up with John Coin. Good so, I'll be right there I, with you. I want you this next week to figure out if you're willing to accept John Coin in Robin's World. Uh, I'll be glad to take John Coin at any time. Robin's World will not be built for a while. <laughs> well, hey, these things may happen sooner than you think. So here's what I'm going to do right now because it's time. For us to get out of here, I'm going to go one, one, six. That's our happy number. Let's see here. One, one, six. And guess what that means, folks? It means that's the 3 Mark Four, the John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of my co-host, Ian Robbins, this is John Adams reminding you, your financial future is not a matter of chance.
doesn't matter.